sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. I am learning to not take any moment of life for granted. Um, you know, life is, life is pretty fragile. And uh, I think it's, there's a real grace and there's a real gift to be able to fully be present to every moment that you're in. Um, the temptation for me, anyways, and this is like an extended good morning. The, the temptation for me is to always be somewhere else. And I think to be fully alive and to, to really be living life well is to learn the art and the skill and to participate with the grace of just being absolutely firmly and deeply rooted where you are right now the moment that you're in, the person who's in front of you, the people that are around you, the activity and the work of God that's taking place in you, the thing that he's leading you into. Uh, because I'm just telling you, life is, life is tremendously fragile. One moment you're trucking along and everything seems good, there's health in your body, the very next day it might not be that case. And I don't say those things to put fear in us. I just say those as a sober reality, man, that every breath really is a gift. That every interaction, every human interaction, friends, is an opportunity for the activity and the movement of God to be at work. And I want to encourage you guys, never, ever, ever take for granted. Never undermine, never underestimate what God might be doing in just the simplest human interaction that you have with someone else. There's a, there's a story uh, from a book that I've been reading, and the, the book starts off with this story. It's a documented story of a man who ended his life years ago, years ago. And he wrote a note, and he said, I'm walking to the Golden Gate Bridge. And he says, and I am intent to take my life unless I have one person who greets me between here and there. And there was not one. And, and I think the, the, the moral of that behind that story is we can never, ever, ever take for granted even the most casual and simple and ordinary human interactions that we have with the people that are around us. There's something sacramental about that. And all that simply means is that God is at work in the ordinary stuff. Does that make sense? So guys, good morning. I'm, I'm just, I'm sobered with gratitude of, of being here together, present with you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. But most importantly, I'm glad that the Holy Spirit is right here with us, yeah. present to us. So as, as Rachel was giving that announcement about Advent, and particularly about Advent groups, uh, this was birthed out of some pretty phenomenal material that Pastor Jonathan came across. I believe it's from Christianity Today. It looks like it's from Christianity Today. But, but this material, typically, like Rachel mentioned, we have 
you know, a cute little Advent devotional, paper, paper form Advent devotional. And the material that we have this year, it's, it's digital, so it's going to be way more accessible, easily distributed. But there's, there's, it's, it's very robust. I mean, there's a, there's a scripture reading schedule, there's daily devotionals, there's family activities for those of you who have children. They're very simple. Some are cheesy. It's okay. The kids love it, right? I mean, in some regards, the cheesier, the better. The kids, they, just, they don't care. They just, they love silly, zany. But there's some pretty creative ideas in here. And when I began looking at some of these discussion questions, which are very, very deep and substantive and meaningful, uh, the staff and I just decided this Tuesday, why don't we do something to try to pull us together more tightly in this season? And in light of everything that's going on, uh, we just felt like uh, Zoom might be a good avenue. So again, I just I want to appeal to all of you. Uh, these aren't going to be long or lengthy. They'll probably be anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, and again, at the convenience of your own schedule in your own home. But I think it, it, it'll be a really, really fun way to connect us during this Advent season and um, allow us to explore some of the rich traditions of our, of our faith. What, what is Advent? We're going to save that uh, in more detail for next week. But very, very simply, because Advent is starting next Sunday, uh, I want to give you guys a heads up to begin preparing your hearts, begin preparing uh, your minds, uh, even begin preparing some of your schedule. It's very simply, it's the four Sundays that precede Christmas. And from Christmas, according to the church calendar established by the early, early, early church, Christmas is actually a season that begins on Christmas Day and extends 12 days after Christmas. So it's easy for us to take our cues from culture. The season that we're in right now as a church, beginning next Sunday, is a season of expectation and anticipation for the arrival of Jesus. And that began with the children of Israel longing for the first coming of Jesus. And we carry that same spirit over today, longing and looking for the second coming of Jesus. Uh, Christy started this, but I took this joke and I, I played it out in the staff. And I said, I said, guys, is it okay this year since we've been living in Advent all year long. Can we just skip Advent and go straight to Christmas? I, I mean, it, it kind of has felt like since the beginning of March, we, we have just everything, all the brokenness of society and the world that we live in, all the fallenness is coming to the surface, which I don't know what that does in you, but for me, it says, God, we need you. Come quickly. We long for your arrival. There is so much brokenness in the world that we need for you to come and make right. So I think this is going to be a really, really special and, and relevant and meaningful Advent season. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So be thinking about that between today and next Sunday. Also, uh, we have... We have given, I say we, uh, Christy and I, uh, this is going to be new news to our staff, but we have decided um, that in light of some of the more increased restrictions um, to actually forego Pi Sunday next Sunday. Um, we just feel like, man, of all the, of all the quote-unquote risks that we could be taking, we have to measure which risks are, which risks are worth it and meaningful and which risks are not as worth it. Um, gathering together to pray, to worship, to, uh, to minister to the Lord and to one another, that's, that's worth it. That's meaningful, right? Um, getting together to, to just simply, you know, have pie. While I love pie, 
Um, we just didn't feel like it was the, the best use of, of our risk chips, right? So um, have, have an extra piece of pie um, between now and next Sunday and uh, have, have one for me and have one for, for the church. All right, guys, uh, let's, let's dive in here in the next few, few moments that we have together. Uh, for those of you guys who were with us last week, we began, um, we began, we began ending our series and uh, today is the official final conclusion of this series about living into community and developing uh, godly friendships. And um, it's been quite a ride, honestly. It's been a really good journey. Uh, last week, we talked about understanding who the God of hospitality is. And I just want to frame the next few minutes here for you um, with this simple thought that all of our ministry or all of our hospitality is very simply the overflow or the grateful response of what we have first received from God. I want to be very clear that I'm not looking to try to start another church program. I'm not looking for kind of a slick and creative or relevant way to, to grow a church. Um, I'm looking to become a more hospitable and generous and grateful man as I, as I follow in the ways of God's goodness and God's hospitality towards me. And I'm praying that he does that for us as a people. You know, the genesis of this idea actually began several months ago as I think all of us were reeling and trying to find our way through the, dis the, the disorientation of the race issues in America. And I think I quickly realized that some of our current strategies were, were just, they, they simply were not working. And as I thought long and hard on this, what was elevated or what came to light for me was that true biblical, honest to God friendship is one of the ways for us moving forward. It's not the only way, but I think it is one of the ways for us moving forward. And that has really been the undercurrent for this entire series. And I, I want to make sure that as we end this series out, that we remember that this began not just with an idea that leads us to becoming more friendly amongst Christians. And while I think that is good, I really do think in a lot of ways, God wants to leverage holy and honest friendships that we build one with another. He wants to leverage that to be spaces where others who do not know God can be invited into that, right? Another a real, a real simple way of saying that is this. We practice how to be good friends amongst the family of God so that we can invite those that are outside of the family into the friendship that we've built, okay? Second um, Corinthians chapter five, I read this verse earlier uh, this week. I actually read this verse at a memorial service. And I had read this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. I read this out of the message. And Lauren, you don't have to put this up, but, but in the message version of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Eugene Peterson translates these words like this. Be friends with God because he is already friends with you. And the spirit behind 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is very simply this, guys. Be reconciled to God and be reconciled to one another. 
Be made right in your relationships with God and be made right in your relationship with one another. Again, life is too short, life is too fleeting, and life is too fragile for us to carry brokenness and hostility and bitterness and resentment. I mean, again, in any moment, your relationships, which are a gift from God, are not promised to you. Right? So be reconciled to God and be reconciled to one another. And practicing reconciliation through the discipline of hospitality becomes a place where we can actually invite others to be reconciled to God. Okay, let's, let's um, I want to I I read some stories here to you guys. I, I made some pretty bold statements last week. Um, and one of the statements I made was that I'm, I'm reading a book or I'm reading a series of books that are actually deeply, deeply impacting and convicting and, and challenging and changing my life. And I think I even said something to the effect last week that um, what I am seeing in these books that I'm reading is modeling the kind of Christian that I want to become. Um, particularly as I look at a kind of Christianity that is out there that I know that I do not want to become like. These books that I have been immersing myself in, this has been a two-year journey for me, actually. Um, I'm beginning to see hope in a kind of Christianity that I want to live into. So I began reading this book. Uh, let's see where... Sorry. It's on a different document. Uh, this book is called The Simplest Way to Change the World. The Simplest Way to Change the World. And... The idea behind the simplest way to change the world is just, is just ordinary hospitality. And so in this book, I actually came across the book that I referenced last week, the one authored by Rosaria Butterfield. Let me read this story. So this starts off and says, when many people in our culture think about Christianity, they reach their conclusions based off pop culture, preconceived notions, or Christians that are depicted as caricatures in TV shows or in other entertainment. But... How might their views change if they shared a meal with a Christian this week? When faced with a genuine kindness and warmth of a real person, would they consider rethinking their previously held assumptions? Rosaria Butterfield, a former English professor and author of The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, described her impression of Christians before becoming one. This story is amazing. She said, the word Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk. No matter how hard I choked, I couldn't hack it out. Those who professed the name commanded my pity and my wrath. As a university professor, I was so tired of students who seemed to believe that knowing Jesus meant knowing little else. Christians in particular were bad readers. They were always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into a conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark to end the conversation rather than to deepen it. Stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a shampoo commercial model. She began researching the religious right and their treatment of the homosexual community, and she realized that she'd have to read the Bible to see where they got their ideas. As part of this process, in 1997, 
she wrote a scathing article in her, in her local New York newspaper about the Promise Keepers movement. To her surprise, she received back a kind and inquiring letter from a local pastor named Ken. And here is the result of that letter. With the letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. Oh, I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches. That Christians who mocked me on gay pride day were happy that I and everyone I loved were going to hell was clear as the blue sky. That is not what Ken did. He did not mock, he engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. My motives at the time were straightforward. Surely, this will be good for my research. Something else happened, though. Ken and his wife, Floyd, became friends with me. I'm going to just let that settle in for just one second. We're talking about an intellectual who would be considered an enemy to the church. And in the book, the other book that I read, I mean, I read the story and I, I immediately, I, was, I looked her up, I bought her book and I devoured it. We're talking about someone who grew up in such utter brokenness and rejection. And here she very simply states that this pastor and his wife became friends with her. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics, and they did not act as if such conversations were polluting. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way that I had never heard before. His prayers were intimate. They were vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was, was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be friends. I, I continued reading the Bible, all the while fighting the idea that it was inspired. But the Bible got to be bigger inside than I. It overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all of my might. And then one Sunday morning, I rose from the bed of my lesbian lover, and an hour later, I sat in a pew at a Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian church. Then, one ordinary day, I came to Jesus open-handed and naked. In this war, war of worldviews, Ken was right there in the middle. Floyd was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine so song in the rubble of my world. With weakness, I believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make my world right. And uh, I'm telling you, man, she is such a powerful and prolific author. Her book... Uh, the gospel comes with a house key is like I said last week, guys, it's, it's changing my life. And, and very simply, this book is nothing but story after story after story of the past 17 years 
of her growing in her relationship with Jesus and her extending hospitality to neighbors and strangers and enemies. And I look at that and I just go, man, this is so simple. This is so simple. And I just want to call your mind, I know we're running out of time right now, I want to call your mind to four points that we made or observations we made about God's hospitality from last week. Number one, God's hospitality is a hospitality that pursues us. Number two, it is a hospitality that is present. It is, it is tending. It is aware. It is fully in the moment. His hospitality is specific. It's, it's fully engaged with us. Number three, his hospitality involves preparation. And number four, his hospitality involves provision. And I say those words again today for us, to, for, us to, for us to deeply, deeply receive and absorb the hospitality of God, but out of us receiving his hospitality for us then to begin to look around us. Say, God, is there anyone that you would have me to pursue? And what does that mean? It very simply means to take the first step. Is there anyone around me in my circle, at my cubicle, in my office, at my school, in my neighborhood? Is there, is there anyone who is around me that you're saying, son, daughter, will you reach out? Will you introduce yourself? Will you make yourself known? Will you invite, your, invite them into your life? Take the first step. Hospitality is about extending open hands to the brokenness of the people that are right in front of us. Number two, is there anyone that God's calling you to be present to, beginning with the people that are closest to you? Parents, spouses, children, parents of your spouse. Again, co-workers, the, the person who lives right next door to you. Is there anyone that God is calling you? Just be present. You don't have to have all the right answers. It doesn't have to be spectacular. I'm just, I'm just inviting you to enter into space and let the incarnational presence of Jesus in your life be right there in the middle of mess in the middle of brokenness. Something that stood out to me when I read her book is she began describing some horrific events that took place in her life. And she would end each of these stories from her childhood with this question. I wonder if there was a Christian family that was in our neighborhood. She just kept asking this question, right? When my dad was beat within an inch of his life and he crawled into the car profusely bleeding, I wonder as an eight-year-old girl, in that terror, if there was a Christian family that was near us. Who is God calling you to be present to? Number three, preparation. Guys, true hospitality requires thoughtfulness. It requires specificity. It requires, you know, not just living spontaneously in the moment. There's, there's an element of hospitality that requires thinking ahead, that requires making provision. And particularly, guys, in this hour where, where human interaction is, the, the playing field of human interaction has changed so much. I think it requires creativity. And I'm not here to say what, the, what your hospitality is supposed to look like, right? Because your hospitality gift and your hospitality grace is gonna come out in different ways. And various peoples that God has called you to be present to, they're going to receive your hospitality in different ways. But I can tell you this, it's going to require a measure of preparation. In other words, it's, it, it, it's, it's not going to be haphazard. 
Like un- unless we like stop and begin taking inventory and begin thinking deeply and a- allowing God to enter into that thinking space, most likely it just won't happen. It just won't happen. I mean, un- unless, unless you're in this room and you're just wired to be someone who is always aware and always looking out and reaching out or, or that discipline or that muscle has been built in your life. If that's not you and that's not your story, if you're not a hyper extrovert, and I mean, if that's not you, I'm just here to tell you, man, the fray of life, our own concerns, the busyness of our own schedules, they all fight against hospitality and reaching out. It's going to require preparation. And finally, there is a provision. There is something that you have to offer that is uniquely, that is unique to the people God has called you to. There's something you can say and there's something that you can be and there's something you can bring and there's something you can do that is exactly what your neighbor needs. I want to end with this scripture and I don't know if it's Aaron or Seth, but whichever of you are coming up to facilitate, I so appreciate you. This is a, this is a, very well-known passage of scripture. And I've, I've tried to be careful the past two weeks, last weekend today, because the last thing I want to do is come across like I got this down. I think I've been very open and honest. This is something that I'm, I'm, I'm entering into and allowing God to, to break down my walls of selfishness, to break down my walls of being self-consumed, of being stingy, of not being generous, of not being aware, all of these things. And there's no guilt and shame in this in my heart. I'm just saying, God, transform me. I want to be purely and truly and fully Christian. I want to be fully present to the people that you're present to around me. I want to say yes to the spaces that you're calling me into. And I just feel like this is a, a real good verse for us to kind of set our eyes on. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Again, listen to this and, and hear no condemnation. Hear, hear nothing but the invitation of Jesus for you to accompany him in the spaces that he's present in. Verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in to your world, your spaces. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, Whatever you did for the person that was right in front of you, whatever you did for the need that you were in proximity to, for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed 
into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? And Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And my prayer today is that when we hear these words, that, that we wouldn't be driven out of some twisted form of legalism or religion, that we wouldn't be motivated out of some sense of covering our tracks, but we would be motivated to see Jesus in our strangers. And we would see Jesus in our neighbors. And we would see Jesus in our family members and friends and realize that every move that we take towards the people around us is a move that you are making towards Jesus himself. Friends, would you stand with me this morning as we prepare our hearts again and afresh to receive of the goodness and the grace of God. But, but today, I would pray that as we come to the table that we would receive with the heart and the motivation and the intention to be people who give bread and cup and shelter and clothing and presence and invitation to the world around us. Holy Spirit of the living God, we pray right now that you would be present in the mysterious, unique way that only you can be present in bread and cup today. We agree that this is, somehow you make this the body and the blood of Jesus for us. And so today we come in response to your gracious invitation and we pray that you would heal us and restore us and fill us up. And God, that you would turn our eyes to the people that you have surrounded us with. In Jesus' name, friends, let us come and let us receive today. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com. Thank you.